The Let's Go Eat Show. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. I, we've really kind of fallen off our game uh, when it comes to the Let's Go Eat Show in terms of the original intent of this show. The original intent was to talk to people uh, over food, uh, talk to them at restaurants, talk to them uh, while we enjoyed a meal together. And and we're because because we're lazy, uh, because it's easier to just do the podcast in a little studio we haven't been you know going to restaurants and eating food but we're still calling it the let's go eat show and to justify that uh sometimes we have donuts and so for this episode of the let's go eat show uh our guest chrisella herzog um munches on a donut and i think i just gobbled one down right at the beginning of the uh uh, podcast uh so we can still justify calling it the let's go eat show because there were there was eating involved, briefly. Donuts. They were great, too, from Banbury Cross. They were delicious donuts. But let me tell you who Chrisella uh, Herzog is. She's an editor, journalist, and entrepreneur. She's co-founder of the Fibonacci Media Company. Uh, Fibonacci Media Company is a startup media technology company. She is also the uh, creator of, the editor of, the writer of, White Hat Magazine, which is a magazine that you'll find uh, only online. It doesn't have a printed copy, uh, but it's White Hat Magazine. And uh, White Hat Magazine is a magazine that uh, focuses on stories of science and technology and social good, and particularly with a, an aspect of women involved uh, in those uh, in endeavors. She's a really good Good, good, good guests. She talk, we talk a lot about women in business, women in technology, and we also uh, talk quite a bit about sexual harassment scandals that have been popping up in the news lately as well. Uh, so uh, it's Chrisella Herzog. Oh, she's also the host of her own podcast. It's called Bosses Who Brunch. And she actually does talk to people over food, brunch particularly. She's, she's a little more... She'll, she'll find out when she's done as many podcasts as we have, I think, that it's not that easy to have food and do a podcast every single week. She'll she'll slack off of the brunch thing. You watch. But anyway, it's great to have her here. Uh, her name is Chrisella Herzog, and it's the Let's Go Eat show. Go. It still happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'll happen again. Mm -hmm. No oh, matter yeah. how. I mean, I've done this a million times. And sometimes There's always you, something. You go home yeah. and listen to it and you go, what the hell happened? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, we'll, we'll just start here. Sure. Um, our guest is, uh, I'm sorry. It's called the Let's Go Eat Show because we eat things while we talk to people. And uh, I just was finishing up a little piece of donut from Banbury Cross. And uh, our guest is Chrisella Herz Herzog. Is that how Herzog. you say Herzog. Herzog. Mm -hmm. Not Herzog, but Herzog. Uh, and Chrisella... Uh, I've met before, and she is also a uh, she has a podcast, and she is also the editor of her own magazine, uh, which is pretty phenomenal, I think. <laughs> and I'm just curious as to how it all happened. Oh gosh, so, yeah. Uh, so Chrisella, oh by the way, Chrisella's podcast is called Bosses Who Brunch. Mm -hmm. So you also eat sometimes while you're doing your podcast. Yeah, it depends on you know who we can get to mm -hmm. um, come out for you know a bit a bite to eat. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with uh, well, we interview entrepreneurs and startup companies, and sometimes with those people, they're just like, "Can we just meet in our office? Can we just do a yeah. phone call?" But sure. yeah, you know. Did you steal that idea from me? By the way, 
Boston Soup Brunch. No, I stole it from a company in Pittsburgh who actually had an event put together called Boston Soup Brunch. And it was such a phenomenal networking event. I got to meet so many cool women that I went up to them and I was like, can I take this idea back to Salt Lake? And so it started as kind of a, an event thing. And then I realized there were so many cool entrepreneurs I wanted to talk to. Um, that I, I turned it into a podcast. And then, you know, I was inspired by going out to eat with people. <laughs> so Do you uh, find that people are afraid to eat on your podcast? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. They are like, I don't want to mess it up the sound. I don't want to sound like I'm chewing. No, and, you, like, oh, and you have to know. say to them, as I say to people on the Let's Go Eat show, especially when we're at a restaurant, mm-hmm. look, you go to lunch with people yeah. and you eat and discuss things mm-hmm. and talk thing, talk about things and eat. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. But they get somehow... Weirded yeah, out. By, it's the microphone. Yeah. You know, it's like putting a camera in people's faces. They just are like, "Oh, there's a camera there. I can't." Uh, you know, mm. Let's yeah. let's start at the beginning of the Chrisella Herzog story. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, when I met you, you were were you the managing editor? Was mm-hmm. that your title of a yeah. of a magazine called Diplomatic Courier, mm-hmm. which sounds very important. <laughs> and and I had never heard of it, and then when I you uh, you, uh, you contacted me, I think because you'd probably mm-hmm. I guess you'd heard me on the radio. Yeah, I'm local, so I've and, been listening to you guys since high school. <laughs> so you contacted me and asked me if I'd moderate a panel that mm-hmm. dip, this magazine was uh, um, was was sponsoring, and it was about clean air and clean water, not just in Salt Lake but around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was happy to do it, and I enjoyed. I had a great time in doing it, and loved it, and. It was a great event. We loved having you there. It really was terrific. And uh, there, I, I what I remember about that event, too, though, that there were people in the room. We had a dinner the night before to kind mm-hmm. of introduce everybody who was going to be participating mm-hmm. and introduce me as the moderator. And there were people there who were and, – and I and I could see it on their faces, and I don't know if they said anything right at the – but they said – you're going to be our moderator, you, <laughs> you, and I, and so I just called him out on it. He said, "I remember you saying you're like I'm not really sure what I'm doing here." But. <laughs> and I said, "I said I, I think some of you seem to see like maybe you think I, you're going to have a problem with me as the moderator." <laughs> and uh, I forget who it was said, "Well, I'm just wondering, are you going to be objective? Or are you going to be this?" And I said, "Well, m- if you're a moderator, that's your job. So mm-hmm. yes, that's what I'll do. I'll yeah. be objective." And the important part about moderating panels is to be able to ask interesting questions, I think. I, I moderate a lot of panels. And, um, you know, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe you can't be objective necessarily when you're coming up with good questions. But it's the part of the panelists to actually answer and, you know, have a debate on stage. We don't want something that's boring on stage. You want to actually have a conversation yeah, on, on stage. You've got to try and keep it lively. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, this magazine, Diplomatic Courier, I, which I had never heard of, you're the manager editor which is an important position yeah it was kind of fun <laughs> and i and i uh i then i looked at the magazine and i went God, this is really a big time publication <laughs> it's yeah. a I, I i mean it's a s- small circulation very i would niche. think mm-hmm. very, very niche audience yeah, but it's a high very well produced and everything how did chrisella herzog who is from salt lake yep i grew up here how did how did you become the managing editor of something as, as <laughs> sounding so prestigious and actually is prestigious as diplomatic courier i started as an intern i was going to the university of utah and um the the guy who was heading up the hinkley institute of politics at the time kirk jowers was know, yeah. on the board of advisors with diplomatic courier so i got an internship with diplomatic courier and at the time, I was um, my career goal was I'm, I'm going to go into the State Department. I'm going to travel the world, that sort of thing. 
And then I got this internship. I was like, well, this sounds fun. I'll play journalist for a summer and then I'll come back home and, you know, I'll get ready for the State Department. But you really wanted to be a diplomat. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, that was my goal. Um, I was studying international relations. um, And so it wasn't like too far out of my field of knowledge. I just Mm -hmm. I hadn't trained to be a journalist. But then I got there and I loved it. I loved it. And so I quickly went from being the um, the summer intern to being the Washington correspondent and covering um, just like the think tank events and things happening around D.C., the, some of the conversations around that. Now, how did you – I mean, did they send you to D.C. Mm-hmm. and say here's yeah. a – Here's a here's a budget and here's mm-hmm. your salary and you have a budget to live on and yeah cover when this you're stuff. a Washington D.C. intern they put you up in housing mm-hmm. and they give you a little bit of a stipend to live mm-hmm. on that sort of thing it was it was a really nice setup and um, when my internship ended my editor in chief sat down with me uh, on a roll she sat down with me and she said I really want to hire you on I've really enjoyed working with you and I need more help the company is growing really quickly and I would like to hire you on to be my managing editor and I'm like. <laughs> so from Washington correspondent to managing editor within like less than a year because <laughs> the co- that's yeah amazing yeah, the the company was growing really really quickly at the time yeah. and so then and that was in 2011 hmm. and then I came uh, luckily with the managing editor position I worked with people all around the world and I could do that from almost anywhere in the world. So at that point, I was able to move back to Salt Lake, which was very nice because uh, my fiance at the time was still in Salt Lake. Now your husband? Now my husband, yeah. And so we were trying to figure out, okay, where are we going to, what's going to happen here? Are we going to go back to Salt Lake? Are we going to move to DC? And uh, he's a software developer. And we just decided at the time that the job market was overall better for him in Salt Lake. And you could do your job. I could do it from anywhere. So. And and but did it require you to travel somewhat though? Oh yeah, I was going back to DC, you know, mm-hmm. every other month or so and then in between that going a lot of other places and I loved it. I loved traveling, so I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, now it seems to me uh, that it uh, that that's a uh, I mean, it was a prestigious job. It was uh, How long did you do it? Um, so let's see. I became managing editor in 2011, and then I uh, I left to start White Hat Magazine in 2000, March 2015. Uh, it seemed to me you could have just grown old in that job. Or, yeah. Uh, the magazine still exists, right? And still does. Is it, it does do- um, in different in a slightly different format now, though. Then this was um, one of the reasons in talking with the editor in chief. Um, the media market, as you know, is not yeah. – it, it's difficult. And so she was at the point where she was trying to decide, do I get more investors? Do I keep doing this? Is this what I really want to keep doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she kind of started – was thinking of going in a different direction as well with the magazine. And I wanted to start my own magazine. And so we decided the time was right to, you know, to part ways. And like, like I said, we're still very friendly. It's just Diplomatic Courier has a – it has a slightly different focus now. So, so you started your own m- – Publication mm-hmm. White, White Hat, White mm-hmm. Hat Magazine, which I, which when I, uh, when, uh, I, I'm sure you you probably sent me a release about it or something, and I I uh, I, I know I've I've looked at it and seen mm-hmm. it, and and is it online only? Online only. Mm-hmm. Uh, Print and, is so expensive. <laughs> yeah, and it, will it remain online only? Um, we've been looking into doing like a print-on-demand sort of thing for subscribers. Um, but we'll see. It depends on how the company grows right now. We're still very young. So, so what is the focus of White Hat Magazine mm-hmm. and and why is it called White Hat? So White Hat is a term that's used in kind of the hacker community. They're hackers who 
they go in and they test systems to make sure you're to find vulnerabilities to make sure that systems are secure, that sort of thing. And so we kind of took a look at the world and we're like, okay, technology can be used for a lot of good things, but mostly technology is affecting our lives in ways that we don't we don't really fully understand and that maybe we aren't fully examining. And so we decided to name it White Hat Magazine to kind of be the people who are looking at these systems, examining these systems to kind of find out where these vulnerabilities are and, you know, what is doing some social good out in the world and, you know, what's harming people, what isn't doing so mm -hmm. much good. Um, and so, yeah, so we cover technology for social good and we look at technology and science innovations by putting people back at the center of it instead of... Um, you know, instead, like a lot of technology journalism, it likes to cover technology companies and like the business and, you know, this and what's the latest flash and mm -hmm. what's the latest and greatest stuff. And yeah, th this company is a unicorn and they've raised this much money. And like, I I'm not interested in that. I, I don't I don't really care about that sort of thing. What I was interested in is that Silicon Valley is coming up with all these innovations. But as one person described it, they're coming up with these innovations to recreate their mothers, you know, ways to, you know, have food delivered to them, have their laundry outsourced, to yeah. find people to drive them around, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But in the international development community, um, you know, people who are out there, they're on the ground providing aid to developing countries or they're thinking about um, international relations and, you know, how to improve people's lives. They're looking at technology a very different way. And they're trying to figure out how to adapt these technologies to really to help change for social people's good? lives. Yeah, for social good. Uh, worldwide mm -hmm. social good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. And you don't hear about that mm -hmm. enough. And, and your magazine focuses on that. We talk about that, and we also try to examine... Um, so I, I love this quote from Emily Bell, and I'm going to uh, read this off. Emily Bell is the director of... Um, director for digital journalism at the Tau Center. Mm -hmm. And so she gave a speech a couple of years ago about how we need to cover technology as a human rights and political political issue, like we would cover uh, a parliamentary system, because these are creating new systems of power that, you know, we don't fully understand necessarily, and we need to hold these systems of power accountable. Um, and I think that's starting to become more a conversation now, at least in the U.S. after Certainly. the election. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, technology isn't – it's not – technology news shouldn't be just about, you know, how many people are standing in line for the latest iPhone or right. what's the latest gadget review? What does this gadget – you know, how does this gadget work? I kind of like some of yeah. those things, but – Right. And but, it has its place. Yeah. But – we also need to examine the socioeconomic side of these things as well to understand really how are these things changing our lives. Uh, and, and it's interesting that you do a, a magazine about technology and mm -hmm. yet you're a Luddite uh, like I am. <laughs> yes. And you have, a, you have a notebook that you write in with Notebooks a pen. Notebooks can't be hacked. Yeah, I have exactly, almost exactly that notebook. And, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, uh, so, so now is there also a focus in White Hat? Uh, and do, do you prefer just White Hat or White Hat Magazine? Do you want a White Hat's fine. <laughs> right. Is there a focus on uh, uh, women in technology? Yes, and yes, very okay. much so. And women in women in technology, women in leadership. Um, you know, encouraging more women's voices and diverse voices in general. That's really important to me. So our company is actually um, we reorganized just last year as a benefit corporation, and one of our important uh, one of the things in our bylaws is that we measure how many people um, 
that are writing for us, how many of them are women? How many of them are from diverse or underserved backgrounds? How many of them are geographically diverse? Because you won't change the conversation about, um, you know, about women in technology and diverse voices in technology until you have diverse people in media writing about these issues. Um, So how do you find these people? (laughs) Well, that's kind of a challenge. Sometimes there are uh, Facebook groups online dedicated to um, helping more women get writing positions or or bylines and freelancing positions. Uh, Some of it comes from people that I had connections with from the Diplomatic Courier and reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been a bit organic, but honestly, a lot of the writing for me lately has been it's been by me. So Mm because we're still very small. Yeah. So you uh, um, uh, and you you solicit subscribers uh, Mm -hmm. somehow, and you also uh, I I I suppose you you also look for underwriters and and people to support you in that way. Yeah, we've been uh well we've been looking to raise some venture capital this uh this year and it that's been a bit of a slow process cuz I'm I'm picky, you know, bringing somebody in for venture capital I I think should be approached more like a marriage rather than, you know, like give me money just so I can build something. Well, I mean and yeah. and you and you don't want you don't want, you know, the the uh, tobac- Philip Morris tobacco companies underwriting mm-hmm. you or I mean mm-hmm. you have to you have to look into Okay, what what are you, and where does that money come from? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one of the and that's one of the interesting things about being a benefit corporation is that our bylaws, you know, specifically require us to do that. Um, and so, even if we were to eventually like build the company uh, to be quite large, we would still have to go back and look at our supply chain, look at the people who are giving us money, and you know, examine that. And you have yeah. to examine, re-examine it, and re-examine it. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you this, uh, uh, Chrisella. Um, I hear this term "benefit mm-hmm. corporation." Uh, is is that has that become a codified thing? Uh, and I, and so I'm thinking of. Tom's shoes. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of here, even Stevens sandwiches mm-hmm. locally. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, I, I know my, the socks I wear. Bombas. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Socks. They if you buy a pair of socks, they mm-hmm. give a pair of socks to yeah people who need socks. Mm-hmm. You know who can't buy them. Uh, Tom shoes gives a pair of shoes to mm-hmm. for every pair of shoes they sell to somebody who needs shoes that can't afford them. That these are benefit mm-hmm. corporations or benefit companies has that become codified in some way? Yeah, in some ways. So there's there are two separate designations. You know the question here. I mean. Here. Yeah. So um, there is there's one uh, codification that is a B Corp, and that's more like a certification. Anybody can become a, a B Corp, even if you're registered as like um, a limited liability corporation or uh, or a regular corporation. But the certification is arduous, and you have to show that you are looking at your supply chain, that you're looking at your, um, you know, where your money is going, that you are, you have um, an organized program to give money back to, like a nonprofit to give a portion of your profits back, sort of thing. Um, and that's run by a nonprofit based out of Philadelphia, I believe, um, called B Labs. The other designation is a benefit corporation, which is what our company is. And that is at a state-by-state level. And when you go to register your business, you can register it as, you know, a limited liability corporation, a C-corp, which is, you know, a regular corporation, or as a benefit corporation. And that's only been available in Utah as an option to register as since 2014. It's a state thing? Mm -hmm. It has to go state-by-state, yeah. Because when you register a business, it's at the state level. Um, 
but it's becoming more popular. It's you can register as a benefit corporation in Delaware now, which means that you're going to start seeing more companies getting investors that are also registered as benefit corporations. And an example of that is Cotopaxi, uh, which is located oh, yeah, sure. here in Salt Lake. Yeah, yeah, they, we, yeah. Mm-hmm. we do stuff with them. Yeah. yeah, and they were one of the first companies out there to really raise venture capital as a benefit corporation. And Gear kind of, for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually I talked to their co-founders about this, about why they chose this. And they came from a background in the in the nonprofit world, and they saw how the nonprofit sector in um, international aid and in in trying to help people's lives it's just not sustainable. You know, you're always dependent on outside money coming in. You're always going out to look for you know for donations, and you can't plan for programs to be sustainable. And that's what development needs: is it needs a sustainable program to that's consistent, and. But if you have a business behind it, a business that's profitable, then you can then you can plan for those programs a lot better. You can mm-hmm. say, you know, our business growth is going to be this. We can give, a, you know, 10% of those profits back and really make sure that, um, you know, that we can plan for this program to last for five years, which is what this community needs. Uh, so being a benefit uh, corporation, I, I'm interested to find out how. Mm-hmm. An online magazine, because you know, because it's because like Tom's shoes, that's tangible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a shoe. You buy shoes, and they give shoes. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. tangible. Well, I'll ask you that now. Well, mm-hmm. how does that, how does an online magazine, White Hat Magazine, we give ten percent of every new subscription to a nonprofit. It's just a matter of money, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, and which is yeah. great. I mean, and we also do. You know. Um, <laughs> We go and we volunteer with different things that are happening around the community. Like um, a couple weekends ago, my co-founder and I, we went and volunteered with the International Rescue Committee. Who's your co-founder? My husband, Kyle Herzog. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, he's the technical side of things and Mm -hmm. the magazine and uh, the the technical part of this. It kind of grew out of our ideas together. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And well, that's good. I mean, Mm -hmm. he he knows you and you know him. Yep. And there you go. It has its ups and downs. But, you know, it's for the most part, it's uh, it's nice having a co-founder you can talk to like that so yeah, uh, yeah. so so uh so just so it's just a 10 percent to uh, and then you mm-hmm. you pick the charities and that mm-hmm. has to be of course vetted and mm-hmm. uh and that'll be and you have a board of directors and all of that kind of stuff yeah we do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so right now our so our next edition our fall edition is going to be about technology in disaster and development um kind of looking at how you can you people are using technology to recover from disasters or to prevent disasters and we in so we try to keep the, the charities that we're going to be giving to thematic with the theme of our edition. Mm-hmm. And so this until uh, December 31st, any new subscription that comes in, we're giving 10% to World Central Kitchen, which is Jose Andres, um, his nonprofit. And he's been in Puerto Rico serving 100,000 hot meals to Puerto Ricans per day, mm-hmm. um, you know, really trying to help feed people there during the recovery. Uh, you you said your fall ed- edition do mm-hmm. you uh, what do you do for a year how many yeah for a year um this year was an interesting year and you know i can talk about challenges in a startup company but mm-hmm. um i ended up getting you know rather sick over the summer and so we missed the summer edition but you know we're coming out with a fall edition and um working on planning out our four editions for next year as well um how do people, I mean, how do they find it and subscribe to it? And, and mm-hmm. how much is White Hat Magazine? Oh, so for, so for um, we have two subscription levels. And you can get like the lower subscription level, which gives you access to all the content uh, for $5 a month. 
or uh, if you wanted to you know, save $10 off of it, it's $50 a year. Um, and then there's a second level, which is $10 a month or $100 a year. And then we try to do monthly, uh, you know, monthly hangouts, conversations, interviews with people that you can join in and ask questions and that sort of thing. Oh, but, online mm-hmm. forums. Yeah, online forums. How does that go? Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, we actually don't have very many people at the $100 level right now, so we haven't been super consistent with that but it's yeah. now this is the challenge i mean it really mm-hmm. is the challenge how do you grow this yeah how you what what are, what are your what have your strategies been like so far to grow mm-hmm. white hat and and uh, and what do you see in the future? Mm-hmm. Well, right now it's been a lot of um, me talking to people about it, you know, coming here and talking to you about it, which thank you for inviting me, by the sure. way. Um, so, you know, talking to people about it, talking to people about the idea. Um, and we did a crowdfunding campaign initially to launch. And so a lot of our sub- subscribers came from that. Um, and this is the secret is crowdfunding campaigns. You don't approach it for money. You approach it for marketing and really getting the word out about it. So yeah. that's, that's how we approached it there. Um, so, and then a lot of it's, you know, so talking to people, um, you get people who, you get friends who are evan- evangelists about mm-hmm. it and who chalk you up. Like I have one friend, every time he goes out, he's, he's talking up the magazine and telling his friends to subscribe to it. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's really awesome. And um, uh, by the way, I'll sign mm-hmm. up today. Oh, thank at the, you. At That's the so $50, sweet. <laughs> at the $50 level. That's no, perfect. I will. I, I mean, I will. Thank you. Yeah. I think that I, I'm, I, because as I said, I think when you sent me something of, a couple of years ago that you were mm-hmm. doing this, I thought, well, it's, um, and I look, I remember looking at mm-hmm. it and then I don't think I, I, to be honest, I don't think I've looked at it again. That happens. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, if I, if I'm there at the 50 buck level, mm-hmm. I, I'll, yeah. I'll read the damn thing. <laughs> Yay, all right. Yeah. That's good. Uh, is it, is it, how, how, um, I, I don't know where I, I want to talk about a lot of different aspects of this more. <laughs> I want to talk. Uh, Can I also, ask, um, yeah, Dylan, you're, you said you're coming out with your fall mm-hmm. edition. When is that out? Um, it should be this week. I'm trying to finish up the last article right now and okay. editing some things. So, so by the by the time this gets posted, then it I should believe be two weeks. Oh yeah, it'll definitely be live it'll by be then. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if it's not, I'm in trouble. Yeah. If not, if mm. not, we're taking bills fifty dollars. Um, <laughs> well, I got a, I got a mug too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I got a white hat magazine mug, which I really like. It's very nice. It's yeah. clear. Yeah. I will use this as my water mug here, <laughs> here at work, and my I use my black. A coffee mug for coffee because then nobody can tell that it's dirty. <laughs> I don't so, uh, use these for coffee. I use them for other drinks. <laughs> yeah, it'd be good. They kind of look like you could put beer in them. They kind of look like that's actually why I bought yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so then, in, in the fall edition, let's talk about some of the content. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Give us an idea. Of what, the what are we going to mm-hmm. read about? What What's exciting? What did you like to write about? So one article I'm working on right now is I recently got to go to Switzerland and tour IBM's research lab there. Um. And one of the things that IBM is working on is a blockchain sort of thing. And I can explain blockchain. Good. <laughs> they're, work- they're using blockchain to try to make sure that the medicines that get to people on the ground, um, not only in the developing world, but even here in the U.S., that they are actually real medicines, not counterfeit medicines. It, this is a real problem where people will skim medicines, they'll steal medicines, replace them with fake ones, and then go sell the real ones. Um, and this happen, This can happen at really almost any level of the distribution chain. And so what blockchain is, is if you've heard of Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So blockchain is kind of the public ledger that um, that Bitcoin uses to why you can track where a Bitcoin is goes to and from mm-hmm. when you 
when you sell a product mm-hmm. or something like that or buy a Bitcoin. And so it's a public ledger run completely through a computer. And you can go in and you can see, well, okay, this checked in here, this checked in here, this checked in here. And you can, for in the case of the medicine, you can follow the medicine from the, from the manufacturer all the way down to when it reaches the, the frontline health clinic mm-hmm. to make sure, okay, th- along the line, this didn't actually mm-hmm. disappear out of the chain to go somewhere else. This is at, you can actually trace it right back to the manufacturer. Um, like by, by, per bottle of pills per mm-hmm. pill per t- well they're testing per or they're using of- it specifically for like um, medical tests like a, a malaria test is one example that they had so when you have this malaria test you put a you ha- it's a little stick um, probably mm-hmm. about the size of your hand and you put a little droplet of blood on it and mm-hmm. then it goes through and it has a test strip well on that little test strip it has a little QR code that you can scan with your phone it goes to a website and it checks against this blockchain pro- this public ledger to make sure okay this is a valid medicine this is the real thing mm-hmm. and so then you can test it if it's a fake one then what can happen with this malaria test is it can come back as just you know it's positive mm-hmm. because it's just like a sugar yeah. pill sort of thing sure. yeah so so if i understand this correct blockchain mm-hmm. is is something that's already in use for bitcoin tracking mm-hmm. yeah and somebody said i'll bet we could use this for mm-hmm. medical medicine tracking and mm-hmm. and then now somebody's going to say oh you know what i bet we can use it for some other oh yeah tracking like, purpose when i was at ibm they were using it for like uh, you know, being able to charge your car at a at a if you have an electric, an electric car, car, charging it, yeah, at mm-hmm. a station or paying for a toll or that sort of thing as you're driving Ooh. along, just to automate that process so you don't actually have to stop. Just the computer, or actually the car has a computer in it that is communicating directly with the toll or the charging machine. I, I so. you know, I had some. I've always had some vague idea what Bitcoin is, mm-hmm. and I still don't really know what it is. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I know yeah. it's it's virtual money, mm-hmm. but I don't know how it becomes worth it. Anything. Its worth is is in what people are willing to sell and buy it for. So I people. So, so it's just to, like money, which is nothing. Yeah. Any, I mean, it's mm-hmm. very little anymore. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of stuff that's the, being the value of Bitcoin. Trade. Is, um, well, Bitcoin is split, and so you have two branches of Bitcoin now, and now they're going to fight about which is the real Bitcoin. So, uh, yeah. well, that's no good. So don't buy any. Bitcoin. But I mean, it's it's the don't same. Don't buy into an ICO. A lot of them are scams. Which is but, give, but it's, give your it, money to somebody. I'll talk to me. It's, <laughs> it's the same. I mean, it's really is the same thing as money. Mm-hmm. I mean, the uh, the uh, the dollar bill in my wallet is only a, a value because people recognize mm-hmm. that. Okay. That's a dollar bill, and I I agree with you that it is worth a dollar. Yeah, exactly. That's all it. I mean, yeah. it's it's the it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, Bitcoin enthusiasts are really excited about the possibility of Bitcoin being used in um, as a replacement for our paper money, and so when. You have situations like uh, when Greece's financial system collapsed. There were people who were like, okay, let's try to get Bitcoin in there, convert people's savings into Bitcoin so that they can then still purchase products. But then you have the issue of, sure, all of your savings are in Bitcoin now, but can you find a merchant who's willing to accept? The notoriously suspicious Greek merchants. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) Yeah, that's – yeah, that is it. Uh, this is fascinating stuff, and this is all the kind kinds of things you'll find in mm-hmm. White Hat mm-hmm. magazine. You, tra- you you travel quite a bit, don't you? I travel a little bit less now than I did when I was with uh, Diplomatic Courier, but I still try to travel a bit. Uh, let's yeah. talk about women uh, more the the, mm-hmm. the female aspect of Absolutely. everything that you do. Talk mm-hmm. talk some more about that and 
and the, the emphasis on that and, and all of that. Yeah. So um, talking about women in technology more, I think, is really important to draw more attention to, you know, that women are under uh, underrepresented in technology fields, which is why you get situations like, you know, with Uber and the Susan Fowler story that came out earlier this year, um, where she talked about how there were she was dealing with sexual harassment and a lot of the women left Uber. Well, it was like, apparently uh, it was just like a, from its beginning until maybe even today, it's like a big f- fucking frat house. Frat house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uber's, Uber's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I, yeah. Dylan, Dylan, Have you drives, ever... <laughs> Dylan drives for Lyft occasionally. Oh, yeah. I do. Yeah. For a reason. Yeah. I'd make more money well, probably if I would drive for Uber as well. And but Lyft actually gives a portion of, um, of their the people's rides back to charities as well too so they've been trying to move more into like this idea of the benefit space yeah. so yeah. i mean yeah, uber like the i mean the, the their ceo their founder who i think recently Travis they Koenig. finally yeah. mm-hmm. showed out. him the door but like you know, some uh, somebody got raped in an uber car and he said ah oh, she was asking for it like mm-hmm. at a press conference yeah i mean mm-hmm. it's I, I forget where i read it in the new york times or maybe it was a, pro, a profile in vanity fair or mm-hmm. something and it was just like what yeah. Really? They are like, and so Uber is kind of the poster boy for terrible attitudes towards women in Silicon Valley. But the thing is, is that they are not the only company like this. Right. They're just the most notorious because they were the most shameless about it. So you have women who are looking for venture capital, women founders, and they all have stories about being sexually harassed by a venture capitalist that they're trying to get money from. Yeah, I'll give you some money, honey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. So like, you know, we'll give you money if you, you sit you on know. my lap. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's disgusting. So um do you think? Yeah. Do you think that um, I wrote this question down before mm-hmm. before I came back here? Uh, this flood of sexual harassment mm-hmm. uh, uh, news that's come out of Harvey Weinstein and mm-hmm. all of that, and then and then it's it's the publishers of magazines, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. the New Re- New Republic, New Republic, uh, yeah. the Art Forum, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, hear about that one, but yeah, oh my Art, gosh. yeah. Uh, are the editor of Art Forum has been Buzzfeed a, and Vox Media are uh, both looking into accusations with their staff. And, uh, what? Yeah. So, what do you do? You have some sense of what what has happened here and and what it may mean. Hmm. I know so, that's a big question. That is a big question. So, one sense of what happened. I think that. There were several things that kind of came out at once. There was, you know, Lady Gaga winning her case against um, whatever her that guy's Dr. Luke. Oh no, that's it wasn't Lady Gaga. It was. Right, um, oh, sorry, you're right. Um, uh, Taylor Swift. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Kesha. Kesha. No. Yeah, Kesha. Yeah. Ke- dollar sign. <laughs> finally get to the right name. Yeah. <laughs> well, but Taylor Swift had a case about yes. a, a radio DJ who grabbed mm-hmm. her. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there was Kesha and Taylor Swift, and then there was Susan Fowler with Uber, and then there was. The election, and yeah. grab them by the mm-hmm. yeah. Our president, you know, if you grab them by the, yeah. you can you get rich and powerful enough, you can just grab them right there in the you know. So I think kind of this explosion of anger that we saw that was that kind of came out with uh, the women's march in January. I think it's people who are. I think a lot of women are finally looking at these other cases and saying, huh. I actually can speak out about this, and there might actually be some repercussions for it. Women, um, you know, uh, Dylan's mom, my mm-hmm. ex-wife, uh, said the said this uh, some time ago about uh, we went. 
she, oh, oh, I got her tickets to go see Sister Dottie. Hmm. Um, uh, and uh, she saw the, the Sister Dottie show. And my, my ex-wife is a, uh, a very, is a really sweet woman, and she's, um, uh, and she's not a me- an active member of the Mormon Church anymore. Mm-hmm. But that show really affected her. I just remember how, it, how strongly it affected yeah. her. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you know, this whole thing about gays and the Mormon church and all this, this, is, this will change someday, and it'll be women who change it. <laughs> I love that. It'll be, it'll be women who have gay sons and gay brothers and mm-hmm. gay the, – the, the women of the church will change yeah. this mm-hmm. somehow. And, 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 and as you were talking, I kept thinking, this, this flood – of women coming forward, uh, maybe this will change the way maybe. we operate in this country completely. Maybe. <laughs> I'm a little bit skeptical about it just because I, I recently read an article from the New York Times from the 70s where they said this flood of sexual harassment stories coming out will change things. And, well, yet here we are again. Yeah. So what I think in... My personal opinion, what I think needs to happen to change things is I think we need an equal rights amendment. 95, yeah, yeah. 95% of the country thinks that equal rights are included in the Constitution. But you have Supreme Court justices who come out and say, nope, the Constitution doesn't say you have to discriminate, but it doesn't say that you can't. So you can discriminate against women. And this is seen in equal pay cases where time and time again, the courts rule in favor of the corporation um, when women sue for saying that they weren't getting paid equally. Um, It's seen in how our court systems treat women who are – who have survived uh, sexual violence where, you know, that guy recently, I don't remember his name, where he just got a couple of months for raping somebody. And well, we just had a case of a, a, a judge up in Canada, Quebec, mm-hmm. Canada, a 17-year-old girl assaulted in a taxi oh, cab by a 49-year-old taxi cab driver. Mm-hmm. And, and the judge said, well, you know, she's a, yeah, like she's a little heavy and she had, but she has a pretty face. Uh, and, and you know that cab driver, he's a pretty good-looking guy, and he uses a lot of cologne, so maybe she liked the attention a little bit. Ugh. You know? Ugh. It's astonishing. Yeah, it really is. And well, you can't do too much, because these boys might be good athletes and have to get back to playing football. Can't um, ruin their careers. Well, I would like some careers to be ruined if it meant a few more, a few fewer women ended up with PTSD for the rest of their lives. So You know, I... Uh, it's it's a learning process for men, mm-hmm. and and some men have a will have a much steeper learning curve than others. Yeah, and then there will be cultural backlashes, mm-hmm. like I think we're seeing as well um, with the things like the red pill movement and I don't know the red artists. Oh, <laughs> red pill movement. I can tell you a little bit about that. It's kind of ugly. So, um, so the red pill movement and the men's rights movement, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, it's this movement of people who are, they're basically unabashed misogynists. They come out and they say, um, well, We've taken the red pill and we have seen that it's women who have all the rights in our society, that women who control our society and it's the men who are oppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't get custody of our children in courts. Well, maybe you can't get custody because you're a terrible person. There are there are uh, ads on uh, on the radio today mm-hmm. for law firms, mm-hmm. for a particular law firm, the name of which escapes me. But, it, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, it talks about 
you know, men, hey, men, you know, you have rights, too. And when there's a divorce, you have rights, too, and so forth. It's that's all code. Yes, that's it all absolutely code. is. It's a dog whistle. Yeah. And um, you kind of actually saw this movement come to light with the Gamergate movement. How? Oh, yeah. yeah. So the women in the Gamergate movement where they were trying to talk about, um, you know, how women were portrayed in video games or how they were treated by the video game community, which um, can be a really difficult community for anybody to work in but for women especially. And there was this huge backlash against the women who were actually trying to make their own video games and actually trying to, you know, talk about some of these feminist issues. And um, it turned into a massive harassment campaign against some of these women. Mm -hmm. And um, sadly, this kind of, this kind of harassment campaign that was, um, you know, even I got some of that as well with, um, with that, because I wrote an article about it. And, so, you know, became a target of harassment for that. That was fun. Um, they, uh, this, it's really interesting. I was following these Gamergates, these Gamergate people. And when the election started, you kind of saw them all shift into talking about politics. And they all became, so the Gamergate the same movement. same people. Yes, the same oh. people. They kind of shifted into what became the alt-right movement. Hmm. Um, so... What is uh, what is the significance of red pill? It comes from the Matrix. So oh. they think that they have taken the red pill and woken up and seen see. society okay. how it really is. I can see that the, the, all women are ball busters. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. They're all a bunch of ball busters. And they yep. Just, yep. You know, it's but it is it's a it's an education <laughs> process because you know I mean I I'm a man and I can't say that I have not done sexist things in my life. We've all done things. You know, it's you a know, learning process. It's, yeah. You know, it's. And then, and I've, I've told the story. I told it on, I've told it on the radio before mm-hmm. years ago. This woman and I liked in an office that I was working in in New York, and I really liked her. And I, um, and I, and she liked me. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the office one day, and she was standing on a chair and kind of bending over doing something. And I kind of just gave her a little <laughs> swat on the butt, mm-hmm. you know, not hard. And she, she got down off the chair and she mm-hmm. turned around and looked at me and said. I really like you. Mm-hmm. I love you. You're a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. If you ever, ever do that to me again, <laughs> you know, and I'm just sitting there going, what? Oh, crap. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Ah, I, I wasn't, I didn't, mm-hmm. I, you know, you, yeah. you, 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 th- you hope you learn from that experience. Yeah. And you know? some people do learn from it and they become better people. And I, I, I think that we need to be forgiving of people who, you know, they, they realize that, you know, the, okay, I'm sorry that I did do this wrong and I'm, I didn't realize I won't do that again in the future and people who are actually sincere about it. But we also have to realize that this is a, it's kind of a product of our culture. This is how we, yeah. this is what we portray on our TV shows and in our movies. And this is, you know, we kind of talk about this sort of thing like it's accepted. And we, and this is one thing that kind of bothered me about um, the Me Too movement that recently happened. Hashtag Me Yeah, Too. the hashtag Me Too movement is that, it was more it, it was women telling their stories about what had happened to them and talking about you know the ways that they were victimized but it wasn't men talking about the ways that they had learned or you know what they had learned that they yeah. you know that they were doing in their lives to cause this pain mm-hmm. and it wasn't people talking about how they are teaching the next generation how to be better it was just you know, it was just, just telling these yeah. stories again, and like no, we that don't. Has to, you're, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. 
It's it's uh, now somebody like uh, I it was uh, I was talking about it today. Um, uh, Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. who was who comes forward and says, "I was, geez, I just I." I did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I I have done the, this the wrong thing, and I have a lot to atone for. And I did mm-hmm. this wrong. And I, you know, I knew about this, and I knew about that. And I was told. And I mean, uh, uh, mm-hmm. who, who his girlfriend was Mira Savino, mm-hmm. you know. And she said he, he Harvey Weinstein raped. He said, I, and I didn't do anything about it. And that's so that's yeah. that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. Yeah. And ta- men need to be doing that more and talking about it and owning up to it. Mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain is another example. He wrote an article or yeah. he did an interview where he came out and said, I, I have contributed to this. And here are a couple of examples of how I did contribute to it. Yeah. And looking back on that, I'm, I'm horrified at my behavior. And I know I need to do better about that now. So. And he's become kind of an activist mm-hmm. now. Well, he said, and he to... also said he'd like to kill Harvey Weinstein. But, but, uh, <laughs> well, uh, that's being too much of an activist, maybe. I mean, well, uh, that's, just, yeah. he, uh, that's just his personal. Uh, so, and so you will explore things like this in mm-hmm. White Hat magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, we wrote an article about the Equal Rights Amendment, and because uh, I, I really do think that that's going to be necessary to change some of the the policy and the legal structures in our uh, in this country. Jeez, um, I so, remember the pain of it tr- I know. of a, a, in the seventies se- when uh, mm-hmm. the Equal Rights Amendment had some momentum. Yeah, uh, but you know, and I, I remember your mom being very adamant yeah. about the Equal Rights Amendment, and she was telling me the other day that uh, the reason. She thinks it didn't happen. Is uh, bathrooms? Bathrooms. Interesting. Hmm. She was. Uh, she thought that I don't recall. W- she thought that women were afraid of men coming into their bathrooms, hmm. Hmm. and it was a big thing of well, what are we about bathrooms? I, I, are men yeah. going to be I, able to come into I the kinda bathroom? Remember that? I kind of remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that there was some some scare. And mm-hmm. you know what it was? It was people opposed to oh, the yeah. Equal Rights Amendment yeah. who used that as a scare. It was scare scaremongering, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And that wasn't the, the – the bathrooms weren't the only thing. It was also, you know, um, well, women aren't going to be able to cook or, you know, mm-hmm. men are going to be penalized for, you know, having jobs or th- things – just yeah. dumb scaremongering things yeah. like that that we are seeing echoed again today. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Could, but, uh, maybe we can hash out all of this and just settle it right here. And <laughs> That'd be nice. It would be great if we no, just, I think we, yeah. we got a good – Five ten minutes left here. I think we can really talk about. <laughs> We're going to solve sexism. Really, yeah. Now let's talk about Kevin Spacey. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh let's. My uh, gosh. You know, I, I, I don't know. He's a very talented guy, and I, I sort of, unless it turns out that he's been a you know a young boy molester for a, a long time, you know, I I hope that he, well, he it doesn't ruin his career. So when but. we're recording this, the Kevin Spacey news is, is very new. When this releases, mm-hmm. it'll be old. But <laughs> yeah. um, he, the problem really isn't. I mean, the the shit he's getting isn't from what no. isn't for what he did to uh, Mr. Rap. Mm-hmm. Forty well, it is. well, it is. But forty years ago, instead of doing what we like, what Quentin Tarantino did and said, "Yeah, I re- I screwed that up." Kevin Spacey. I've learned. He came. He used he you knew he had this card in his back pocket of i can come out when i when when my career needs a boost when my pr needs a boost well the funny thing is is that to distract which is hurtful to for to all kinds of causes Mm -hmm. well these stories about him have been floating around for a long time and i don't think mr rap is going to be the only one to come out about this 
also like when he came out, I was like, didn't he already come out? Yeah. <laughs> you know? here's, here's what happened, and you being in the in the uh, magazine business, and mm-hmm. uh, you, I think you will understand what I'm saying here exactly. <laughs> Kevin Spacey might have been okay if he had stopped at the apology, mm-hmm. but I think a publicist said to him, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin, there the second part of your statement really ought to be. We, if you if you tell people that you are you know you, you, because you know the rumors are there if you confirm the rumors you're a gay man and that uh, you so live everything. as a gay man you know do that too and that'll kind of that'll soften everything and it'll soften it and if uh, that was a that that second half of that statement was written by a goddamn publicist and it almost worked because there were well. some some news organizations that came out instead of the the harassment being the headline it was. Kevin Spacey comes out as gay right. being the headline. Yeah, and I and I I think it did work. I mean, mm-hmm. if we if we were to just go do a survey of, you know, 100 headlines from 100 biggest newspapers, sorry, they're mostly going to be about him being Kevin gay. Spacey comes out as gay well, mm-hmm. there was because a, of this thing he did. There was mm-hmm. a drop from Family Guy that uh, yeah, no. we played on a radio from Hell Show yeah. today from several years ago. Seth mm-hmm. MacFarlane called it 10 years ago. Yeah, oh. d- yeah. who's uh, this little Stewie, the little bo- little baby on the show, saying, Oh, I just escaped from Kevin Spacey's basement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, but, so Seth terrible. MacFarlane knew about it 10 years ago and didn't mm-hmm. do anything about it. I I well, Seth MacFarlane also had that Harvey Weinstein joke. Yes, so, he did. you know, maybe we should be asking. We should follow and yeah. listen to Seth MacFarlane yeah. more often. Well, well, we should be asking. It's like, why isn't Seth or MacFarlane doing more to mm-hmm. talk out about, you know, to speak out about this sort of stuff? Because apparently he he's, knows. He's addressed, I think he's addressed that actually. Mm-hmm. He's, he said, I did what I th- thought I could do. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, there's, because that guy had a lot of power. But let's talk about your podcast. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Switching before, gears. <laughs> before we before we run out of time, mm-hmm. uh, you have a podcast called Bosses Who Brunch. Yeah. Part of White Hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about that and who who you've talked to so far and. Oh that. yeah. So. Um, I also want some brunch recommendations. <laughs> would be good as well. Um, so with Bosses Who Brunch, the idea came out of, um, like I mentioned, this networking group in Philadelphia, um, and they were very kind and, you know, let me, uh, you know, take the, bring the idea back here and, uh, you know, bringing a networking sort of thing, brand new to Salt Lake, that can be a little bit difficult. And it seems to especially be difficult for women entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. because are there many in Salt Lake? There are, they just don't call themselves entrepreneurs. And that's the trouble. They don't think of themselves as small business owners, as entrepreneurs. They just think, oh, I'm doing this this sort of thing to make some extra money for my family sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this here is to kind of – it kind of get women to think more about themselves as, hey, I'm doing something that's cool and worthy of recognition. Um, and that's something women have a hard time with. I have a hard time with it. I don't like to promote my own thing very much. So um, so I don't really think in terms of opportunities like that. And a lot of women are like that. They don't like to, prom- to self-promote. They've been um, – it's part of this culture that, you know, women don't, yeah. you know, they don't promote themselves. Don't you, well, young ladies are not boastful, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. proper women don't yeah. boast about their product, mm-hmm. products. That's a, that's a very male mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I interview a lot of women on this podcast, and I think most of the people I've interviewed so far have been women entrepreneurs doing cool things. Um, one of them was uh, Priyanka Bakaya, who founded PK Clean. She was at the Clean Air Conference right. as well. I um, remember her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She's creating um, 
she's created a technology that takes plastic, like plastic that uh, can't be recycled, and turning it back into fuel that we can use. And her goal is to end up cleaning up the oceans, cleaning all that plastic out of the oceans and turning it recycling it back into fuel is how she is i haven't seen her or uh, really heard much out of her since i met her at she that. stays very uh, below the radar but she's doing great she got an investment from steve uh, steve case uh the aol founder ah. um last year i believe so mm. um so she, you know she's Good. still building and mm-hmm. uh she's working on a partnership with salt lake county last i heard mm-hmm. for a recycling yeah program. i think i saw something about that in the mm-hmm. news yeah yeah. So um, so she's one person I've interviewed. Another person I've interviewed is uh, another local entrepreneur is uh, Christy Sevy, and her uh, her co-founder is her brother, Kyle. And they have founded a company called Fuse Play. What they're doing is they are building a hackable Frisbee uh, for kids to kind of help teach kids how to code. Um, because part of learning how to code is that you just have to be you have to be comfortable with getting into the, the the mechanics of something and tearing it apart and putting it back together and learning how to play around with the code and experiment with mm-hmm. things. And so that's what they've built with this Frisbee is something to just kind of teach kids how to experiment with this. And it you can change the coding to make it flash different colors or, um, hmm. yeah, and, and, you know, do different things and play different games with it. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I was talking with her about it, and they're still they're in finalizing their manufacturing process now, and they should be shipping out their frisbee uh, this Christmas, I think. So, yeah, so it's yeah. it's bosses who brunch. Mm-hmm. That's just free wherever you get podcasts. Yep. Uh, and uh, do you, and then do you promote White Hat Magazine throughout the podcast as well? I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, okay. because our subscriptions do subscriptions to White Hat Magazine do end up supporting Bosses Who Brunch as well. And um, you know, if we can get subscriptions, then you know we can also pay for you know better audio editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, fifty bucks uh, to subscribe to White Hat mm-hmm. Magazine. So the best way to do that is just go online. Yeah, yeah. White Hat Magazine dot Whitehatmag.com. There's a mechanism there to to subscribe and pay. Top right, you go into shops and you can subscribe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And can you buy these really cool mugs too? Uh, You will be by Christmas. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, as I promise you, I promise you, sometime today or tomorrow, I will go there and do a $50 level Thank you. I'm subscription so excited. <laughs> to the magazine. And, uh, and then I look forward to your fall issue. Thanks. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thank you. It's been great to be here today. Chrisella Herzog, uh, Editor-in-Chief. Mm-hmm. Is that what we call you? Yep. <laughs> of White Hat Magazine Online. Go there, whitehatmag.com. Thanks for being with us. I'm Bill Allred. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. Uh-huh. Uh, and remember... If you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. Broadway Media Podcast Network.